Welcome into Honorado and Bagnardi, Chris Honorado, Sean yeah. Bagnardi. He's you got to figure it out. Went the opposite way yep. to get to you. Nice. Uh, life and social distancing, this podcast has never been so good. Uh, that's true, but only because of the guests, not because of us. Well, I was just going to say, if you are seeing us for the first time, uh, it's because of our guest, and we won't delay it too long here, but I will, I will say one thing that we make two promises and that is to provide idiotically stimulating conversation around the world of sports. Yes. That's the guarantee. Okay. And then secondly, we continue to prop ourselves up by our guests and our guest <laughs> today is Ryan Rucco from ESPN and the yes network. Boog Shambi last week, Ryan Rucco this week, two of the best names uh, in play by play. Today, Ryan, it's good to see you, man. Thank you for taking the time with us. Hey, you guys don't meet, need me to be propped up, but I sincerely appreciate the flattering intro. Well, gonna, can I flatter some more? I got to flatter some more. Yeah. So I am a diehard, Chris will tell you, diehard Nets fan. I So we, we work at the NBC affiliate in town here in Albany. I produce the 11 o'clock show, so I work at night. Yeah. I avoid the results like the players, record all the games, go home I and watch it, them. man. Been that way forever, and I got to praise you because you guys, the, the Yes Network team, is the best in the biz, and we're lucky as fans because obviously Ian Eagle is just. I mean, I grew up watching Ian; he's incredible. But we don't have a number one and a number two. We have two number ones because when you're in there, it is just as smooth. You and Sarah and RJ now, great addition to the team. You guys are really the best in the biz. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Um, I like honestly, we take great pride in it as a team. In fact, one of my most active group chats throughout, uh, you know, this period of time has been our our Nets broadcast group chat, uh, which also includes uh, Tim Capstraw and uh, Chris Carino, who are um, you know the incredible radio uh, broadcast team of. Uh, of the nets, but I appreciate that, man, because, you know, we, we, we love what we do. We love working with each other. We're really like a family. Our producer, Frank DeGrace has just overseen, I think the growth of so many great broadcasters in our industry. Like when you look at like Mark Jackson, you know, he, he cut his, you know, chops and broadcasting with the nets and with yes. And with Frank's guidance, obviously Mark has the talent, he was going to be great, but he had, you know, Frank to help usher in that greatness at the beginning. Uh, Michelle Beadle, you know, and, and her broadcasting career, you know, some of the early formative stages, you know, with the Nets and with Yes. Um, we've seen, you know, we've seen Mike Fratello and Jim Spinarkle there and, and uh, you know, a lot of great broadcasters through the years. And I think our one constant uh, has been Frank. So uh, we all benefit from getting to learn from Frank. And, uh, and I think also you know, part of the reason that we see the culture we have is because of Frank as well. And Ian, you know, Ian is, Ian is the most giving teammate you could ever hope to have. Uh, for me, when I, you know, first started shadowing um, broadcasts when I was about to do a game, I was, I maybe had just turned 23 and Ian could not have been more helpful. And he has remained like a big brother to me throughout this entire period of time. We are so ridiculously close. And you know, the iron's so great that you would think there would be no insecurity, but you never know in this business, right? Like somebody else could have looked at a young broadcaster, getting some opportunities right. and said like, I'm going to keep them over here, you know, sure. regardless of how great they were at the craft. 
the amazing thing about Ian is, you know, first of all, he is as good as it gets. Secondly, you know, he has none of that, no insecurity whatsoever, um, and just wants to be the best teammate possible. And he is that. So it's uh, it, so when you say things like you just said, Sean, it makes us it makes me feel good. And I know it makes us all feel good because we take such pride in being a family and being great collectively at what we do. Uh, so thank you for that, man. Yeah. And I think, honestly, I think that shows on the air, which is obviously why it's so great. Why the, why the team works, you know? Yeah, I, I agree, man. I, I always like, by the way, as, as we're uh, doing this, I just get a, another text from our nets, everyone group chat. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, man, I think, I, I think that, you know, our chemistry, the real chemistry that we have, definitely comes through on air because there's that level of comfort and, and uh, friendliness amongst everybody. Because we're on Facebook Live here, if you guys have a question or a comment, fire away. We'll get them to Ryan. Uh, we, I did get one through Twitter last night um, that I'll share with you here in a second. Um, when you and I first spoke, Ryan, it was a few years ago, radio side. And you know how LeBron James has like this great recall of what happens in the third quarter four months ago in Denver? Yeah. I have a not so gifted talent of remembering weird things from different interviews I've done throughout the years. <laughs> you were in Detroit with the Yankees. It was baseball season. You were in Detroit and you were shopping in a vintage T-shirt place somewhere wow. downtown or something. Yeah, so, at, uh, at homage or um... – homage depending on how you want to pronounce it yeah that's an amazing memory i i don't think i would have remembered that but now that you mentioned detroit and vintage t-shirt store i know exactly where i was yeah and i was at uh h-o-m-a-g-e right so what are what is is there an obsession with vintage t-shirts or is there one that like you're really proud to own no you know what it is man i just love soft t-shirts like i I just love, I want something that feels nice and supple on the bod, you know? And <laughs> I I just happen to think like those t-shirts, um, vintage or not, uh, you know, they, they do the trick. I never knew I'd be wearing them as much as I have been during the last, you know, 45 days. Um, but uh, Homage makes uh, amazing ones and like ones that throw back to like, you know, NBA Jam or different know cool childhood memories and then uh the other company i go to a lot is rotoware um and they kind of blew up this past year with uh all the shirts they made that were relevant to the yankee season mm -hmm. um and, and uh kenny the dude who runs rotoware is just so quick uh and clever with the shirts he comes up with um so and they're just the softest most amazing material so that's really what i'm about like kind of like fun cute uh you know sayings or throwbacks uh, soft material fitting the 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 um, schmedium form nicely. <laughs> <laughs> On the subject of style, I want to ask you about the hair or yeah. lack thereof. I mean, I'm about two weeks away from looking like Jared Allen, and and Chris Chris is engaged. His fiance has told him she would rather postpone the wedding. Then marry him on time if he can't get his hair cut before then. Right. That's sort of your approach, like a proactive strategy of like, I yeah. know barbershops are going to be shut down for a while. So, yes. Um, first of all, Chris, when when is your wedding? Uh, it's supposed to be June 19th. Okay. Uh, in New York? In New York. Okay. Yeah, my wedding, I was, I'm engaged as well. Yeah. Um, and my wedding was supposed to be... June 13th, so not that far off, um, in Italy. Uh, and we've we've since postponed it to June of 2021, which 
sucks, but you know, it just became obvious collateral damage, uh, you know, with what we're dealing with, which, you know, made it a little easier to stomach just knowing, Hey, we're healthy and safe. And so that's something we can figure out, you know, even though it's sad and it hurts at the time. Um, and I hope that doesn't happen for you, Chris, and that you can go off as planned, but, um, you know, I, uh, you know, I kind of like, I've always wanted to try this. Um, you guys both have beautiful heads of hair and, uh, I, you know, on a scale of zero to 10 with your options, I, I would guess that you both can get to about 10, you know, in, in your options. My options were more like, um, zero to three. And so I, I've always wanted to flirt with, I've always flirted with the idea of shaving it. And I said, you know what, if not now, then when? And so I, cause I'm not getting to a barbershop. And, um, so I kind of, uh, I used like a, I don't know if it was like a two or a three to start. And my fiance and I both liked, and she was like, you have a great shaped head. You should go shorter. Then I went to like a one and she was like, I'm telling you, you should just like bick it. You have a great shaped head. I love how it looks. I, you know, you, you, you look great. I've never, your hair's never looked better or whatever. So with that encouragement, my fiance loves it. I'm like, I might as well go for it. So I ended up going down to like, I haven't done like the actual razor yet where it's like totally bicked, but I've done like, um, no guard on the razor. And, uh, and I honestly, I'm like, originally it was like, well, I might as well try it. I've wanted to forever. Now's the time. I'm not getting to a barbershop anyway. Um, and now I'm just like, you know what, this will be my life from now on. It may be like varying lengths. Like I may try it with like the, all the way down completely. Uh, but I would say the Rotten Tomatoes score for my shaved head after hosting the WNBA draft was about a 90 to 93%. Nice. And, uh, and most importantly, it's a hundred percent with my fiance. So I'm in, I'm all in on it. That's all that matters. And yeah, I was going to say yeah. it was clean for the WNBA draft. And, and I want to jump off that. Um, how perfect is it for that league to get the type of player that the market New York is getting? Uh-huh. You're you nailed it, Chris. I mean, I, I think we've already seen it, and and we really saw it. Um, just even looking at uh, the New York Post's back page, uh, you know, the day of the draft was Sabrina Unescu, and um, she's a star. Uh, we've seen her, uh, you know, transcend just the women's hoops fan uh, with the way her collegiate uh, career has been, uh, you know, attended um, and covered. And I also think. There's another element, um, and it's the Kobe Bryant connection. You know, Kobe was a great champion of the WNBA, as we uh, detailed throughout the draft, and he and Sabrina were incredibly close. I mean, they had a ridiculously tight friendship, and I think there's sort of this simultaneous energy of people who started to get what Kobe was doing and now posthumously are even more so appreciating uh, you know, the investment in the women's game and in this league and wanting to carry that that torch. And then also the connection to Sabrina then and thinking like, oh, you know, you know, that element is at play with her as well. Um, and so I think there's going to be some of that energy and momentum um, uh, for the league and also for Sabrina. And then there's just the fact that here's a woman who has done things we've never seen in college basketball, men or women. You know, when you talk about her, her you know, her point rebound assist totals, her 26 career triple doubles. Um, this is a, a dynamic player as the Liberty move into Barkley Center uh, with a new owner and a great owner and Joe Sy. Uh, I don't think you could have a better recipe 
for the attention on Sabrina and the league. And it may take a couple years before we see it translate into winning. But I think about Brianna Stewart in Seattle. And, you know, the first couple of years, it didn't necessarily translate into wins. You know, Brianna, you know, probably the most decorated collegiate basketball player of all time. But eventually, year three, it started to really pop. And now, you know, she didn't get to play last year because of injury. But year before, she was finals MVP, league MVP. And I think Sabrina is going to be a show worth watching right away. And I bet you that's going to translate into wins, um, you know, within the first few years, even if it's not the first year or two. And then that adds things too, right? When the Liberty are going to are good and they're getting attention like that and Sabrina's a show and people are going to show up courtside to watch her as well. Plus she's in the same arena as Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. You know, there'll be some crossover there. Um, it's just going to, you know, help uh, elevate the attention uh, of the league and its biggest moments. And, uh, and it's important to find, you know, those stars who can carry the torch. Right. Ryan, I want to ask you, you're probably sick of talking about this by now, but you were really sort of front and center the night that coronavirus transcended to the sports world in a big way. Mm -hmm. um, you were calling the game on ESPN with Doris Burke. Can you talk about that night and how things sort of unfolded, the timeline of it, and when it became real for you and for everyone else that wow, this has now arrived and this is affecting all of us and what we do. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it. I was traveling a lot last week of February, first two weeks of March. Um, and uh, I mean, even the last couple weeks of February, first two weeks of March, um, that's sort of where the convergence of uh, my multiple sports networks really hits because – um, in March, Ian doesn't do that many Nets games because he's consumed with college basketball. So my Nets slate on yes uh, increases significantly. Um, and I'm still doing my normal NBA on ESPN slate, but then I'm also doing spring training Yankees games for yes. Uh, so I've been traveling a lot. And uh, I also was tracking COVID-19 closely because of my wedding in Italy. And obviously, we all know uh, that this has hit Italy very hard and it hit Italy uh, earlier than it hit us. Um, so I was tracking it closely and I was starting to, um, in general, feel anxious traveling. Uh, I started to really notice, um, you know, uh, the nerves of fellow travelers. I made some changes myself. Like normally I like sitting in an aisle. Instead, I started sitting in a window just to be exposed to less people walking through the plane. Um, I'm wiping down everything religiously and I'm a germaphobe anyway, but taking it to the next level. Um, and, uh, you know, you notice like the pilots were all of a sudden even more communicative, trying to put you at ease, um, not necessarily about COVID, but just in general. Um, and uh, and so there was already this eerie feeling and it had started to crescendo uh, heading to um, L.A. with the Nets for their West Coast trip uh, and then flying morning of to the game in Dallas uh, for Dallas Denver. And uh, Doris and I at lunch that day had even talked about how it felt particularly eerie and there was a palpable change in the air. And we all sort of talked in a knowing way that our next games on ESPN, which were due to be five days later, the following Monday, uh, were not going to be in the same fashion. We just knew, you know, they weren't going to be either remote or they weren't going to be in front of fans. We knew something was going to change. However, I don't think we thought everything would change as dramatically uh, as quickly as it did that night. And, um, you know, we we got to the arena and there was already different protocols in place. 
uh, are meeting with the opposing coaches. Normally we're hugging them, handshaking them, whatever it may be. In this case, uh, we were, you know, not doing any of that. They are, they had set up uh, a chair uh, more than six feet away from us um, for our meeting with them. You know, normally you walk into an arena, you're high-fiving, hugging everyone. There was none of that. Um, even amongst, amongst our crew, we had kind of stopped hugging, high-fiving, handshaking, whatever. It was more like elbow bumps, you know, and whatnot. Um, and, uh, and I even remember that night, like, uh, not getting makeup because I was like, you know, I don't want to get makeup, the same brushes. I don't know who's, you know, I wasn't even thinking about our crew. Um, you know, although ironically Doris did have COVID at the time, but I was thinking more so, you know, just along the lines of, I don't know how many people this makeup artist has used these brushes on, et cetera. So I was just like doing all those little things as the game began. I think Doris and I, you know, we're a little distracted throughout the day, seeing that there was going to be a board of governors call with the NBA about what was happening. Our open to the game, uh, a whole segment was dedicated to, uh, you know, the news of the day, which was what came out of that board of governors call, the fact that the Warriors weren't going to play in front of fans, and some of the conference tournaments that were uh, being announced to be played um, in front of no fans. Um, and so we already had kind of a, you know, a slightly distracted, eerie feeling. And then, you know, early on in the game, Doris is on Twitter and sees what's going on in Oklahoma City with the Jazz. And so now I'm in communication with my producer and he uh, is going to let us know, um, you know, what the developments are there. And if it's confirmed uh, that like Rudy Gobert has COVID because there's rumors that he was tested for. Right. And we had known like, you know, at some point somebody's going to get it and they're going to have to shut down the league. But I don't think any of us thought it was there yet. And uh, as we're about to go to break in, I think it was somewhere in the second quarter. I don't remember. I still have to go back and watch the game. Uh and we're already kind of like having a conversation at different points with Tom Rinaldi, Doris and me about COVID, but it's not that present. It was kind of just like, Hey, we're all monitoring this, but there was no huge news. Right. Um, so we're in the game. And then, uh, my producer says in my ear, um, like, he's like, all right, five, you know, whatever, 10, nine, Ryan, he's huge NBA news. When we get back five. So I'm like big NBA news. When we come back Two, one, whatever. As we're in the break, now I'm still waiting for confirmation about Gobert having COVID uh, because we had seen one report that said, yes, he did, but we had to confirm it. And as we're in the break, um, uh, we learn that uh, they're going to take it out of studio with Scott Van Pelt and Woj. And not only has Gobert tested positive, but the season is being suspended. And so once that happens, um, you know, it becomes more of a newscast and we're Right. toggling back and forth between studio with Scott and Woj, who were just amazing that night. And then Doris and me on site. And we're sort of balancing, you know, properly handling and caring for the news and the specter of what's going on with also addressing the action, um, you know, because it's still happening in front of us, but not doing so in a way that doesn't make sense given what's going on. Right. Uh, and so throughout at one point after uh, we'd first learned that when we got to our next commercial break, Doris even said to me, she's like, doesn't like this all feel pointless even addressing the game at all right now? And I was like, yeah, you know, it kind of does. Um, but as the game went on, I think we were able to, uh, you know, spend a little more time on the game late in those final five minutes. Once we had really, so we had talked to Mark Cuban, we had really covered all the news aspects of it, had gone back to studio several times, had made the audience aware that like, Hey, we'll be on top of any new developments. We were able to kind of, 
hone in on the, the last few minutes of action just because it almost felt like there was an urgency from the players as well, mm-hmm. knowing that they weren't going to be able to play for a while. Um, and I think it, it made us all, and knowing we weren't going to get to experience this for a while, it kind of made us you know nostalgic and, and appreciative of the basketball in those final few minutes, especially that we knew, courtesy of Mark Cuban, that the players were aware that the season was being suspended. So it was kind of just balancing what made sense, you know, uh, for what was happening in front of us, what was going on in the world and what would make sense to the audience. And when we were done, Doris and I were both completely spent emotionally. Um, and I think so grateful for each other, uh, that we had each other to, to help, you know, guide us through that experience that we both were emotional, the final on camera. Um, if it would have stayed on us both longer, you would have seen us both start to break up. I think for fear of our, you know, what was happening in our world, uh, for the you know overwhelming disorientation of all of our realities being shaken, and then also uh, for the real gratitude we felt for each other to be able to get through the experience. Check out Ryan's podcast as well. It's it's still going. R two C two with CC Sabathia, and it's funny. So my fiance said to me, "You know, you guys are doing this on video. I, I don't think that means it's a podcast. So <laughs> is this a podcast? <laughs> yeah, it's a podcast still." Yeah. Absolutely. All right. It's just, it's just you get multiple versions of it, you know? Yeah. Right. We know, like, the cool thing about podcasts is you're able to go more in-depth in a casual way, right? Like, spend more time than normal than if I'm calling up the radio show I'm on for 12 minutes at most, yeah. right? Um, and uh, and you can't really allow me the time to just tell a seven-and-a-half-minute story like I did, right? <laughs> but <laughs> But in this case... It's a more relaxed setting, which if you guys end up wanting a little more time after how long I just was, that's fine. Um, but it's a more casual and relaxed setting, which just, you know, isn't mitigated by the video component. So, yeah, it's a podcast. R2C2. It's a podcast because you can find it on iTunes. It's on a bunch of different platforms, uninterrupted. You can find it on iTunes uh, as well. Uh, and, of course, it has a, a video component, too. Ryan Ruka with us here. Again, if you have questions, comments for Ryan, uh, we'll take them on Facebook. And we do have a couple that we'll get to here. Ryan, I'm going to steal a little bit of Sean's thunder here. Okay. okay but I know I'll have a follow-up. So this is I got on Twitter last night. It's from Joseph Spector. He covers the capital scene in Albany for the Democrat and Chronicle, I believe in the Rochester area. But he says the Hudson Valley zone, Ryan Rucco, first time, long time, will Tyron Liu be the next next head coach? Well, speaking of Albany, shout out to Governor Cuomo. I've thoroughly enjoyed his briefings every day and just his 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 poise and facts and truth. And, and it's been comforting uh, to me as a citizen of New York. Um, as far as Tyron Liu goes, I don't know. I mean, I... I I honestly can say um, I have at this moment zero insider knowledge on who the Nets might hire as their head coach. Um, the, you know, I, I I hate that things didn't work out with Kenny because I love Kenny Atkinson as a guy. He was just remarkably great to our crew, um, and I would have loved to see him there uh, when this thing reaches its apex. Uh, presuming that, you know, the team is able to when all their healthy pieces get back. Um, so I hate that, you know, things changed. Having said that, um, I have full trust in Sean Marks. Uh, I truly believe he is an outstanding leader um, who, you know, there is not a single person I would pick over Sean Marks when it comes to running my basketball operations department. And so while I don't know if Ty Lu will be the coach or not, um, or if he's a serious candidate or not, 
I do know I have full faith in Sean to make the right hire, whoever that is. So whether it's a, somebody you've heard of or somebody you haven't, um, I will believe that it's the right person simply because Sean Marks does. Um, and, you know, and one other thing I'd, I'd admonish just or, or just, you know, give sort of like a, a, a careful warning when it comes to these associations with past head coaches. Like, I, I don't know. Like, people just assume, oh, Kyrie Irving had Ty Lue. They won a championship. They'd want to be back together. I have no idea. You know, I, I, I don't know. Maybe Ty Lue wants nothing to do with ever coaching Kyrie again. Maybe Kyrie wants nothing to do with ever being coached by Ty Lue again. Or maybe the thing they both want more than anything in this world is to be back together as player and coach. But I think all of those options could be possible. So just because there's an association, I think it's um, it's dangerous to assume that always means that you know there should be another marriage. It may not. It may, but it may not. I, and I want to ask you a little bit more about Kenny, actually, because as a fan, like honestly, that was that was a little bit of a gut punch because you felt like you know here's a guy who, along with Sean Marks, you know each step had been taken the right way and really ahead of schedule. And like you said, you really wanted to see him at that point where maybe this all comes to fruition. And and the idea that this was kind of a mutual thing, I think, seems kind of silly to everybody knowing just that, that you would think Kenny would want to be there when those those big pieces are in place and the team has real championship aspirations. Um, without, I mean, I, I know you're around the team. I'm not going to ask you to to spill the beans on anything here. But was there any sense, because as a fan, there, there, there really wasn't, was there a sense for you being around the team that, maybe this isn't as cozy as it might seem with everybody or that this might be coming. Well, one thing I will say is I know people, um, and I understand it. Uh, they look at the, um, you know, the whole mutual decision thing and they roll their eyes. But, uh, from what I understand, uh, that actually is very much true. Uh, just the fact that they both sort of came to the realization and they had had honest conversations leading up to that moment, um, and they both kind of came to that realization of, oh, uh, this isn't going to be the right fit moving forward. Uh, so we might as well do something about it now. It's in the best interest of all parties. So I, I do think there was a mutual um, aspect to it. Um, I, you know, I, I can't tell you that like this was obvious to all of us um, who were in the traveling party around the Nets. Um, I think we were all curious as to what might happen at the end of the year. Uh, and I think that would be a reasonable assumption, whether you're around the team or not, just because you all of a sudden had a bunch of new players and you had a team that was, you know, seemingly, uh, not producing the way it was anticipated before the year. Of course, the huge, uh, mitigating factor in that is that you had a ton of injuries. So I actually think the team has performed, uh, well relative to the injuries that they've suffered. Um, but anytime you get a bunch of new stars in there and they're, you know, watching uh, the way a coach is working or just a bunch of new personnel uh, that may have influence, uh, you never know. So um, I think we all wondered, oh, OK, will this still be the case at the end of the year? But it wasn't necessarily because there was any evidence saying it wasn't going to be. You know, I, I have to be honest. I wasn't hearing much about like anything of substance in regard to like, Oh, you know, there's issues right now with Kenny. I really wasn't, I wasn't hearing any of that. Um, you know, I mean, afterwards, of course you read things and hear things and see things. Um, but you know, up until the day he was fired, I really hadn't heard any of that. And I was shocked when, when he was let go, I wouldn't have been shocked at the end of the season, 
just because of the nature of the business, not because of anything I was hearing or any concrete evidence, but I was shocked, you know, when it happened just because, you know, I hadn't been hearing anything concrete that would make me think he was on thin ice. I think there's sort of a perception around the league, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, that kind of the players really run the roost nowadays, you know, more than general managers and certainly more than head coaches. Uh, and it, look, th- this is nothing new. It's been around for years. I think a-, a lot of Nets fans would probably say they saw it. I think the belief there is that Jason Kidd kind of ran Byron Scott out of town to get his guy Lawrence Frank in there. But certainly now, nowadays, it seems to be more prevalent. Do you think it's a good thing for the league in general or a bad thing? Because I think think for fans, it's like, well, we'd like to think that there's going to be competitive balance. You don't want all these super teams necessarily. But then you look at it on the other side as, well, isn't it good for the league if you have these really stacked teams going head-to-head in the playoffs? So so what do you think about the, the control on the player's side? Yeah. I mean, I think a collaborative approach um, is always preferable. Uh, you know, it would be, you know, when people talk about player control or like, you know, uh, well, this player doesn't want to play for this coach or whatever. Um, you know, I think those are always factors that should be considered. You know, if, uh, you know, for example, you know, let's just use the Bulls documentary, right? If, if I'm the Bulls and at the end of our fifth championship, Michael Jordan says, I'm only going to play if Phil Jackson's the coach. Well, it's stupid of me as the GM then to get rid of Phil Jackson immediately because I'm losing Michael Jordan, right? Um, And uh, at the same time, you want your star players to be fully invested in the head coach. So I do think that there, you know, I do think that there's reason behind a collaborative approach, especially in the sport of basketball, where one player can make all the difference in the world. You know, Kevin Durant can literally be the reason you either win the finals or are the eighth seed. He can be that big a difference. Um, And so if Kevin Durant, and I have no idea what his thoughts on Kenny were whatsoever, but let's say, let's say if if Kevin Durant, in theory, you know, there's two candidates up for the job, right? And Kevin Durant loves one of them, fully believes in them. And the other one, he really doesn't like, you know, that should be weighed in the decision um, because that is going to have a tangible impact on your team. Now, having said that, do I think that the player himself should be able to say like, fire this guy. I want this guy. No, I don't because I don't think the player is necessarily in the best position to make that decision. He's not putting in the same prep time that it takes to make these hires that a general manager or president of basketball operations is, you know, these are full-time jobs. It's the same reason why I never like seeing a head coach. Who's also the GM to me. I see how much these guys work at one of those jobs. How can you possibly be great at two of them and have enough hours in the day? I don't think you can. So along those lines, I, I think that if you look at, you know, the best possible construction of a front office, it's an approach where, you know, the star players have faith in the uh, president of basketball operations or the general manager, right? And there's some sort of collaboration amongst all uh, important voices with the GM then making the ultimate decision. Um, and I do believe that that's the way uh, things work currently for the Nets. I think Sean is a very collaborative approach which allows the maximum amount of ideas to filter through. And I think he has no problem saying, but I'm the one who ultimately makes the decision. 
Um, and so I'm sure he's going to talk to players and and hear their opinions. And some players' voices certainly may mean more than others. We understand the structure of the league. But Sean's not going to hire anyone that he doesn't feel good about hiring. That much I'm sure of. All right. Let's get to some questions here from Facebook. Uh, Randy wants to know your favorite NBA, WNBA or Major League Baseball stadiums to call a game from? So take one, some, or all of them. So Yankee Stadium, which I got to do some play-by-play in last year uh, because of Michael's vocal injury, because normally I just do play-by-play on the road. Um, Yankee Stadium would be my favorite. Uh, Growing up a diehard Yankee fan, the nostalgia of it, the comfort, the familiarity with the ballpark. um, It was just amazing. Um, Fenway. Calling a game at Fenway was pretty amazing. Uh, so I'd say those two. And then um, in baseball, Safeco is incredible, visually stunning. Um, and uh, Kaufman in Kansas City, beautiful ballpark to call a game and great sight lines for both of those parks that I love. Uh, NBA-wise, Barkley Center, it's home. I love the vibe. Um, I'd say my favorite arena outside of Barclays to call a game at would actually be TD Garden in Boston. To me, it's got the most consistently electrifying atmosphere, the most consistently engaged crowd, uh, and I just love the feeling how no matter what the situation is. I can remember being in there with some bad Nets teams you know, a few years ago. Atmosphere is still electric. Um, so I actually would say Boston and TD Garden is my favorite NBA arena to call a game in. You know, There's less to the aesthetics of NBA arenas than there is to like a baseball stadium, um, but that's what I would put. And for the WNBA, um, Seattle, Key Arena is great. Minnesota is amazing with their fans. Phoenix's fans are amazing. But my favorite would actually be um, when the WNBA finals took place um, in Minnesota, but not at Target Center, but instead at um, – I can't even remember the name of where Minnesota plays – where the Golden Gophers play. But that's where their old, old arena is where uh, the finals were played that year between Minnesota and L.A., and it was just so loud, and it was incredible. So that would be my favorite WNBA uh, venue that I called the game in. All right, Jason on Facebook, this is a good one, uh, wants us to ask you any advice for young broadcasters out there. Uh, first of all, thank you, Jason. Um Secondly, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there, there's a lot of advice. Um, first of all, the two, um, foundational principles of advice that, uh, I have always used. Um, one is a story that Red Barber told to Vin Scully, um, when Vin was just starting out in Brooklyn and Red, you know, had been the voice of the Dodgers. And he told Vin, remember, there's only one thing you can take in the booth with you that nobody else can. And that's yourself. Um, and Vin took it to an extreme where he actually wouldn't watch any other broadcasters uh, because he wanted his style to be so uniquely his own, which obviously worked out great for him. Um, I would say you can definitely watch other broadcasters, but the point remains the same, which is remember, you have to be you. You know, The only chance you have at maximizing your ability is to be the most authentic version of yourself when you're on the air. If you are trying to be, let's just say Joe Buck, who's one of my all-time favorites, you know, you're you're if you do it as well as you possibly can, you're still finishing second, right? Because you're never going to be as good as Joe Buck, and you're also not going to be true to who you are. 
What's going to make you unique is leaning into the things that make you who you are um, and finding just incredible comfort with that, whether that's, you know, being self-deprecating or silly or serious or, you know, witty, whatever that is. Um, so, you know, remember, you know, the only thing you can bring in the booth with you that no one else can is yourself. And then my mentor, uh, Bob Aaron's, um, he used to ask, are we allowed to curse on this? What's the deal? Oh, with that? Go for it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Show me to have, last week, so why not? <laughs> he used to have a saying, um, where he would say, uh, Ryan, when shit's live, shit happens. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Bob, 83 years old, my, my mentor and the man who taught me play by play, Bob Aaron's from WFUV sports. Yep. Um, his point was like, don't freak out when things are live, things are going to go wrong. They're going to go differently than you expected. Don't be like, but I had it this way, you know, now all of a sudden the audience would have an, have a tell, you know, or an issue. So just taking that approach of like, Hey, things are live, things are going to happen. Um, and that also, I think allows you to be a better teammate too. Cause if you're freaking out at your crew, every time things go differently than expected, um, people aren't going to want to work with you. So those are a couple of things. Preparation is key. You cannot get on the air and perform if you are not prepared, period, the end. I don't care if I was doing a demo of Fordham basketball as a sophomore or I'm getting ready to do the NBA playoffs on ESPN. I prepare the same way for every game. Now, obviously, my techniques have evolved over the years, but the attention um, and that threshold has not changed. Uh, and it shouldn't, no matter what your assignment is, whether you're doing a demo or you're doing the Super Bowl. Um, and reps, get as many reps as you can. You know, this is not a business you can learn and get better at uh, without doing reps. So whether it's recording into your phone, whether it's going to a local uh, college and asking, hey, can I record demos of your game sitting in the stands, or whether it's just getting repetitions at your school uh, or, you know, your local news station or whatever it might be, get as many reps as you can. Um, because that's what's going to make you better. And trust me, you are going to be shocked at how much better you get every single month when you're getting those reps. Like when I go back and watch a broadcast from three years ago, I'm like, wow, you know, like, you know, I remember Mike Breen telling me this when I'm in college. He's like, you know, I'll go back every now and again, I'll watch games from a year or two ago. And I'm like, how'd they let me on the air then? You know, and that's, that's Mike Breen. Uh, and that's how we all should feel because the more reps we do, the better we get. The last one from social media here. This is Mike. He says it's his birthday. Uh, Happy was, birthday, Mike. Who was your favorite baseball player growing up? Andy Pettit. Um, I'm the biggest Andy Pettit fan in the world. I still am. Uh, if you were to go in my childhood bedroom to this day, uh, although I let my parents change the pinstripe uh, <laughs> wallpaper, but uh, but to this day, there are still several Andy Pettit plaques hanging. Andy Pettit autographed jersey over my bed. Um, yeah, it's a little creepy, uh, but I, I'm just the biggest Andy Pettit fan of the world. And he has been so good to me as I've gotten to know him a little bit better, uh, throughout my professional life. Um, and, uh, he's, he was great to me when I met him as a diehard fan, when I was 16 years old, and he has been just the greatest guy in the world to me since, um, you know, and, and developing enough of a relationship that he, you know, knows who I am. When, when we talk and say hello, you know, he's familiar with my work and we can have conversations and are very friendly. And it's the coolest thing to me, um, you know, and, and, you know, dapping up Andy Pettit with like a level of, hey, good to see you again. is like, oh, it's amazing. But he's 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 great. He really is great. He's a great guy. And he's my all time favorite athlete. I, I can't let you go here without asking you this. What is it like 
working with the Richard Jefferson. <laughs> oh man, he Rich, Richard's great. Um, Richard has as much talent as any broadcaster I've ever seen in my life. Um, and he, what's amazing is you know people pay attention a lot to his humor, and it's amazing. I mean, he's just naturally gifted and quick when it comes to his wit and also his willingness to push the boundaries, um, uh, which you have to be, you know, you have to have a certain build to even be willing to do so and to be able to do so effectively, which he does. But the thing that amazes me is how quickly he picks up on the game and digests things and anticipates things. Like if Richard wanted to never tell a joke, he could still be an incredible analyst. That's how smart he is with the way he sees the game, reads it, and disseminates it, um, and the way he anticipates it and forecasts it. So to me, Richard has all the makings of being, you know, one of the great analysts we've ever seen when it comes to NBA basketball. The only question is, you know, is that what he is going to want to do his entire career? Because he could also, you know, I could easily see him being a Michael Strahan type on a GMA type show as well. Yeah. Um, but to me, sky's the limit. And he's a really, he's a really good teammate and a really fun guy. Cool. Well, listen, Ryan, as I said to Boog last week, uh, I don't know why the hell you agreed to do this podcast, but we are certainly glad that you did, man. So thank you. You're so welcome, man. I'm, I'm happy to do it. And, um, you know, look forward to hearing you guys uh, again sometime soon. Take take care of my boy Cuomo up there in Albany. All right. We'll try and, to uh, Capstraw, who is a Sienna, big Sienna guy. Yes. Yeah. And oh, him. Uh, big time Sienna. And how about Sienna having a draft pick in uh, – oh, no, Ryder had a draft pick in the WNBA yeah. this year, I should say. Ryder did. Yeah. Um, but uh, Capstraw is uh, – you know why I associate it? Because Capstraw put me on to Ryder following uh, the draft. Of course. Um, because, of, uh, because of their draft pick. But, uh, um, but he's – Capstraw is the greatest, man. I mean, he is – listening to Chris and Tim on the radio do Nets games – you will not find a better team in the country than Chris and Tim. Chris Carino and Tim Capshaw. Their chemistry is amazing, and Tim is the greatest dude. So don't worry. We'll make sure to take care of him. In fact, we have something coming out Wednesday uh, with Tim on Yes. He is going – we uh, recorded yesterday. He's going to be doing drills for parents at home with their kids, uh, trying to stay fresh on their basketball skills during this you know odd period of time where resources are a little more limited. So, Yeah. Make sure uh, to check that 7 o'clock on Yes Network on Wednesday for Tim Capstraw's School of Coaching. There you go. I love it. I love it. Ryan, thank you, man. Be good. Stay well. Stay healthy. And uh, cannot wait to hear you again on an NBA or Major League game soon, we're hoping. Me too. Me too. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Ryan Rucco with us here, man. That was awesome. Absolutely awesome, Shawnee. It's great. Like I said, man, I, I, that guy is in my living room a lot. You yeah. Know? Um, watching every Nets game during the season, and he's great. He, him, and Sarah, like I said, and and Jefferson and Michael Grady. I mean that that's a great broadcast team at Yes, and they make even when the Nets are losing, they can still find a way to make a game enjoyable to watch. As hard as losing is for me. All right, so you know I'm curious because we haven't talked about it yet here. And we'll get to 0, 050 or 100 coming up. Uh, if you followed our Facebook show in the past, you know, a game we like to play. We're going to do that here shortly. But, Bags, I'm curious just from your standpoint, what do you think is the next sporting event we see 
of the four major North American sports. So I'm not counting golf and I'm not counting tennis, which I know are more easily played than some of the other sports. I'm talking baseball, I'm talking hockey, basketball, football. Which of the four do you think we see next? Boy, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. I think we're going to see – boy, I, I, I want to say the NBA. I really do. But I feel like we're going to see baseball games without fans first. It's just kind of my gut feeling on this. Um, you know – it's an outdoor game. I think you can get away with not having fans for longer. I mean, what are you going to do? Jump into hockey or basketball. You're essentially in the playoffs now. Are you going to not have fans in, in, for playoff games? It doesn't seem realistic. And the NFL, when that gets started, you, know, you have eight home games a season. Are teams going to be able to say, we're going to play without fans? That just doesn't seem realistic to me. So I feel like because you can get away with not having fans a little bit more in baseball and to play it outside, I think maybe we see that first. Although there's going to be a period where we see some form of a spring training type of thing before games that matter when they do come back. So it still feels like we're a long way off from anything. But for me, it'd probably be baseball. What do you think? Yeah, I've said this before. I think it's the NFL. Um, I just think football has been the only sport to this point. Now, granted, they haven't had to do anything with contact, and and we're going to see the the draft tonight done in a very unusual way and done completely virtually. But but the NFL is the only league that hasn't changed its schedule because of coronavirus. They've still started – the league season on time with free agency. They're holding the draft in in a different form, yes, but but still on the same timeline. They're not allowing the pandemic to derail those plans. So I really believe that September somewhere, maybe October, I don't know, but I think it's going to be the NFL that we see first and next, if you will. I think what's not going to happen is 100,000 people – filing into football stadiums in September no. though. I mean, they may be they may be first. We might see regular season games first, but it's still not going to be games as we know it. Whatever we see first, it's not going to be games as we know them. Um, but it, we have to live with that. I mean we, I'd rather well what about you? Would you rather see games without fans than yeah. Give me games. Yeah, I'm there with you. But what about a playoff game? You want to see an NBA playoff game with no fans in the building? What are, What is my other option? I don't see it at all. Yeah. Give me Give me the game. I'm with you. I'm with you. But I don't think everybody's there. Ninety nine point nine 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 two percent of the games I see in my lifetime are on TV. Yeah. Now, of course, the crowd has has a lot to do with just the overall viewing experience, and so like the Warriors in the last handful of years. If they were playing at Oracle, there was an immediate advantage. They might have, they might have had a ten point advantage just because they were playing at home. And so I realize you don't have that. But but for one year, if the option is games with no fans or no games at all, give me the games every day of the week. If you said to me we're gonna have a baseball season, it's only gonna be a hundred and ten games long, and there won't be a single fan to ever attend any of those games all the way through the World Series, fine. Well, you're a Braves fan. You're used to not having fans in the stadiums or regular oh, season games. That's not Come nice. On. 
You know, you know full well when they had Maddox and Smoke yep. and Blavin. Yep. Nobody went to regular season games. And they and they after you know towards the back end of that division run of 14 straight. So like late 90s, early 2000s, they had a hard time selling out playoff games. Right. Which is sad. It's embarrassing. Yeah. Uh here's what I don't want. I, I do want games, even if it's without fans. I don't want some weird abbreviated version of something just to get it done in other words i don't want to see the nba go to you know let's let's play some best out of three playoff series or let's only have four teams make it and we'll have a mini tournament or something like that i don't i don't want to end up having a champion that you feel like you can't celebrate as a true champion because they didn't have to earn it the same way in the postseason the same thing with hockey. I think there's an important there are important levels you have to go through in each of those postseasons, and and it's supposed to be long and an arduous process to get there. And if we abbreviate that, then I think that really hurts. I don't want a champion I can't celebrate as a real champion because then otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Let's do some zero fifty or hundred here. Um, and you've got to go to work today. I do not. So. Whatever. I'll just rub that in. Um, yeah. All right. So we bring in our free help, which we're so good at finding. And Ashley's going to help us through some 050 or 100 here. Ash, first one, you're up. All right. 050 or 100. What's up, boys? That was a nice barb there, by the way, on the Braves thing. There, bags. No. Yeah, no uh, 050 or 100. The Tampa Bay Bucks should be the favorites in the NFC. Okay. You want to take this one first? Uh, sure. I mean, zero. And we'll have whiteboards for next week. Uh, zero. The Bucks have Brady and they have Gronk. And, and that's like almost the cherry on top because they had one of the best offenses in all of football last year with James Winston throwing 30 interceptions. So they still have Chris. I want to remind you, you said zero, but go ahead. They still have Mike Evans. They are an explosive offensive team. But they're in one of the best divisions in football, New Orleans. I'm curious to see what happens in Carolina quickly or, or by way of process with a guy like Matt Rule um, and Teddy Bridgewater being the quarterback there now. Atlanta, new uniforms. Where are they? They have a bunch of talent. It's a tough division. So I still think started that. with new uniforms. Yeah, okay. You're you need to South Carolina. Carolina. Atlanta has new yeah. uniforms. All right. So I still think New Orleans is the favorite in that division. So I can't even possibly put the Bucs as the favorite in the entire conference if I today wouldn't even pick them to win their division. So give me some other – you didn't name a team who's your favorite to win the NFC. Uh, best team in the NFC. I think it's still tough to go away from somebody like San Francisco. Okay. Um, the way they dominate on both lines, offensive and defensive lines, I think it's tough for me to go away from the Niners. Um, I do like Green Bay still a little bit, my team. Uh, I think they'll do some things in the draft this year to get Rodgers some more weapons. He's obviously on the back nine of, of his career. New Orleans, I still like New Orleans. Um, so I, I got a few teams in the NFC that I like more than I like the Bucks right now. This is a 100, and you made half the argument for me talking about how good the offense was, even with all the interceptions thrown. Now they have a guy who's not going to throw many, okay? And I'm not so big on Gronkowski coming back. We'll see. I think he'll be – I don't think he's going to have some big rejuvenated 
uh, career where we see this guy who's just as good as he was or, or somehow even better. Like he's not, he, he's going to be what he's going to be, but he'll have an impact because he works well with Brady and they'll find a way they'll make it work, frankly. Um, and the fact that you can't just throw out another name, there are very good teams, certainly. Yeah. but you mean to tell me if you're going to line up Tampa Bay against San Francisco or Tampa Bay against New Orleans or Tampa Bay against Green Bay in the playoffs and I've got Brady on my team, to me this, that's, that gives them the edge. So I'm going to go with 100 on this. You know what happens when I pick against Brady, right? Look, I've been trying to teach you. You don't bet against you – know, normally it was the Patriots, Brady, and Belichick, but there's still one-third of that you don't bet against, and that's Brady, and really half. All right, we're on to the next one here, Ash. Here we go. Yeah, sure. All right. Who won? You score, used to score them. Uh, yeah, I mean, I like your argument, but I would have sided with Chris. So I'm going to give you the point. Because I thought your argument was better. See, that's how good I am. Even when she disagrees with me, I still yeah. make a better. Yeah, I mean, I, listen, Chris just said every time he goes against Brady, they win. That would be the same that happens with me. And you said, don't bet against Brady. So I think you win. Oh. All right, next one. If the NBA season is not completed, it will hurt the Lakers the most. This is. It's almost definitely a 100. The real answer is it will hurt LeBron James the most, I think. You said uh, almost definitely a 100. Yeah, because, look, there are. it's going to hurt any team equally that had a chance to compete. I mean, I, I think this really hurts Milwaukee as well. Teams that it, – it's going to hurt any, any one of those top two or three teams that you would put in that championship contention. But I think because the Lakers have LeBron James, I think this hurts LeBron James the most because of how – one fewer chance to win a title will hurt his legacy. So it, to me, it's more about the LeBron aspect of it is than it is the Lakers, because as good as the Lakers were in the regular season and they got LeBron and AD, this was not going to be a shoe in championship by any means. There were other teams out there, the Clippers, like I said, Milwaukee, I think, you know, this hurts them too, because they were really coming. So it's it's kind of a 50 for me from the team perspective, but the LeBron aspect, I have to go 100 on it. It's 100 for me too, um, and and I agree. LeBron is a huge factor here, and yeah, I agree. Milwaukee's the only other team I would consider is maybe it hurting as much as it does the Lakers because they're on a free agency clock with Giannis, whereas the Lakers are on just a, a body clock with LeBron, like how many more years can we expect him to be the best player on the planet, which he still is. And if you lose a season where, like you said, they may be the favorites to come out of the West, uh, I, that hurts them. And look, from a franchise standpoint, you know, LeBron was going to get them back to the mountaintop and, and missing out on this year, which was a really good chance for them to win it all. Uh, I'm going to put them at 100, but I'm with you. I, I, Milwaukee is the other one for me where they probably feel like Huge missed opportunity. Forget the regular season wins, but like I said, just the, the the free agency clock on Giannis here, trying to get something done in Milwaukee. And I'm, and I'm not assuming he won't stay there, but I'm assuming he may not stay there when all of his options are presented. Okay. All right, Ash. Last one here. I'm not sure who wins that. You both made the same argument. Yeah, we both win. We're both winners. Okay. You both made the same argument. Uh, I think also 
it helps. I mean, hurts the Lakers most because it helps the Warriors. Like if they don't play a season until forever, you get a Warriors team that's it's healthy. The biggest thing was they weren't going to be healthy. You get a Warriors team that's somewhat healthy, and now they're back in the mix if we're playing months down the line. So I think that's yeah. why it also hurts the Lakers. That's a good point. But, yep. All right, last yeah, one. wins the argument then. Yeah, I'm playing and she's beating us. <laughs> All right, last one. You are equipped for quarantine life. Boy, bags, you equipped for quarantine life. I'm a I'm a 50 here. Uh, with the only with those being the only three options, I'm somewhere between zero and 50. But but I'll go 50 because I'm sure as heck not a hundred. Um, I, I I can barely cook anything to to stay alive. So. And I'm also somebody who you can tell by this podcast. I, I just like I need to be doing something. I, I like to go out and do things. I, I, I need to be active. I have a hard time being static or 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 kept in the house. And as you and I have said already on this podcast, um, we still go to work every day. So so there is still some normalcy in our lives. I'm a fifty because I'm not full survival, but I can get by. Yeah. So this is. If the, if the question was, are you equipped for pan, the pandemic and quarantine, it would be a 50 for me because I, the, the stuff we have to give up stinks and nobody can be prepared for that. Just quarantine, though, I'm 100 on this. I've been practicing my whole life for life in quarantine, just chilling out, relaxing on the couch, watching movies. I'm a veteran of quarantine. I don't go out. What do I do? I'm, I'm old now. I don't go out and party. I don't go out to the bars. So no, I am a 100 quarantiner. I can get by. But the pandemic, different story. It's it's too bad that this is the reason we're yeah. quarantined for because no, the stuff that we have to give up is horrible. And it stinks being locked up without being able to put a ball game on, obviously. Um, but just the quarantine itself, just the couch to the fridge to the bed. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> all right i'm gonna give it to sean you were both very honest which was good but i liked i liked his quarantine versus pandemic argument um he's ready for quarantine another big win well we learned that uh ryan Rucco had to postpone his wedding yeah that was in italy it, yeah that's i mean so that's on till next summer you and i too too early to call as they would yeah. say in a political big election year, too early to call. Not not too far from being too early though. We're yeah. we're close. True. We're getting close. And the haircut thing is still in play. Still yeah. in play, but I think it's holding up pretty well. Yeah, yeah it's it's okay when you got product in. Looking yeah. good. Right. And as a guy who with curly hair, you know, once they curl in on themselves, eventually you you don't like I get the poof going. Yeah, I get yeah. When there's yeah. no product, there's a lot of poof. Yeah, bad. Unruly. All right, Ash. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Free help. And uh, and we we probably exploited a little bit. You do. Yeah. yeah I, do. Say, I just sit here and turn on my computer. <laughs> All right, Shawnee. Uh, stay well, man. We're uh, we're back at it uh, next week. Check out some of our conversations uh, over the weekend. Jimmy Dykes, ESPN college basketball analyst, uh, will jump on with us. Talk about a new book he has out. Um, similar kind of storylines here, like who really missed out in the college basketball season in terms of winning a title. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the best prospects in the upcoming NBA draft. And also 
Major League Baseball insider Kylie McDaniel from ESPN uh, will join us. So check out those conversations coming up this weekend. Shawnee, be well, brother. You too. See you Thanks soon. for watching, everybody. We'll see you on Facebook. We're on YouTube and Twitter as well. Thanks for hanging out.